With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One stores away to get back homeward. I think before the Abbey Road sessions, it was like we should put down the boxing gloves and try and just get it together and really make a very special album. Take two. It's Ken Dashow's okay. Beatle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Hey, producer Andrew. Hey, Ken. Man, the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road. And the thing is, this is kind of it. You know, the, I guess you're going to do Let It Be one more time, but Paul's already done Let It Be Naked, so it's not like it hasn't been touched. Uh, of the big things that Giles, Martin, and Sam O'Kell, this is it. This is the last big watershed thing. You know, I never thought about that. Man. Because like with, with like Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page always has some random live album right. to remix and remaster, <laughs> but the Beatles don't have that. So, yeah. This was their 11th album that they made. And considering they recorded across the space of seven years, 11 albums, and not one album we went, yeah, that one missed. I mean, the film Magical Mystery Tour missed, but the songs on it are stellar. We're playing them forever, ever since, you know, Hello, Goodbye. We never stopped playing the music from it. So all 11 hit at Top of the Pops. What, what so many artists have told us as they came through that the questions they always got in 64, 65 is, so when this is over in the next mm -hmm. year or so, what are you going to do? <laughs> what if it's never over? A few years later, people are asking, it's over? Why? <laughs> Why? No. Yeah. I mean, I just, this week we're recording this in New York City and we've had this plethora of prog rock. I'm prog geek heaven. I, right. I, Ian Anderson was here doing Tull. I saw the Alan Parsons project. Mm -hmm. I saw Steve Hackett do Selling England by the Pound in its entirety. Is that at the Beacon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his encore, spoiler alert, if you're going to go see him around the country, he did squonk from trick of a tail okay. and threw in nine eight through i mean for every geek in the world place going ballistic sure. and prog rock heaven and the zombies are coming in town rick wakeman is touring mm -hmm. so the beatles end in 70 but it's not like every anybody went well that's the end of that kind of music all these bands took up sergeant pepper's flag like ian anderson said this way to the future lads and everybody procol harem and pink floyd didn't get to the big time, didn't get to be that size until after the Beatles in the early 70s. I, I had a thought just this morning about the Beatles and um, yeah, sort of in relation to a lot of other bands. You know, when 11 albums is a lot of music. It's a lot of hours in the studio. And one thing, you know, I've been sort of preoccupied with the idea of every album... You, you release as an artist, it adds to your catalog, and kind of no matter what, people always have more experience with the older material. So as artists get older, it's like, here's the new song, right? 
Um, and I think one of the struggles is having albums that don't sound unique from one another, where you hear a song and you're like, is that from the last album or the one two albums before that? And I heard an artist talking recently about how they like working with different producers, different engineers on each album, so that even though it's the same guys making it, the album doesn't sound the same. And even if it's just because the the producer's using the same equipment, because that's what he owns, that's what he's got. And here the Beatles, over the course of 10 years or so, 8, 10 years, made all these wildly different sounding records. Maybe some of the stuff at the beginning was kind of... Similar. The similar. But then, over the course of uh, four or five years... They make several radically different sounding records, right? And even with in, the same people with in the, the same place, <laughs> which is that's the yeah. more, not we have to change producers to get a different sound. Uh, so many bands search for different producers to try to bring that into their world. Uh, Daniel Lanois with, from working with U2 and with Bob Dylan and trying to see if T-Bone Burnett could make it a little swampier and more southern. And you try different artists and different sounds, and like you said. Pretty much outside of George missing, you know, walking off of Let It Be because it was a disaster to begin with. Pretty much it's George Martin and either Jeff Emmerich or Ken Scott. There was just a handful of people. And it's part of outside musicians, outside of the classical people that George had to pick from. It's Billy Preston uh, for keyboards later towards their career. And Eric Clapton on one song which happens to be amazing, right. but that's it. Yeah, and, you know, I think about the later Beatles albums, um, and there's, like, associations that I sort of have with them, and I think this might be somewhat uh, influenced by the album artwork, but it's still something that is that feels real to me, where, uh, you know, Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper's feel very colorful-sounding, you know, there's there's the psychedelic elements, and that's reflected in the artwork. Whereas the White Album, one of the reasons I don't really like listening to it nowadays is because there's something that's chilly about it. Wow, I beautifully think, I think said, the and you're absolutely the right. The production is it's it's more stark than anything else. Um, and then one of the th- reasons Abbey Road is probably my favorite one is they go back to sort of a more like a natural sound where you can kind of hear the room. Mm-hmm. Like if there was one album that was recorded digitally, I would think the one Beatles album, I would think that would be the white album. Right. Because right. it had, there's like, there's a coldness to it. There's like a super clean, uh, lack of ambience, ambience, um, that I don't really appreciate. And that sort of gets in the way of the sounds where, uh, there's something about Abbey Road that's always warm and sounding it's funny, to me. They were recording a lot of the White Album together. We've heard them working on their demos. And yes, they are sniping at each other. But Abbey Road, as Alan Parsons said, they worked separately more than he ever expected. Just Paul in the studio, just John in the studio, just George in the studio. Not that they said, let's never run into each other when you're going to be there, so I won't be there. But they, he said they definitely worked more than I could have ever imagined. They all worked in their parts separately 
we would mix them, and they would come back to sing harmonies and things. And, you know, part of the song of Because, to me, is it, the title really is Because We Want to Prove to You One Last Time That If We Effin Feel Like It, We Can Sing the Greatest Three-Part Harmony in the World, Bee Gees, You Can't Touch Us. Hmm. And it's almost like Because We Could If We Wanted To. We Don't Really Want To, But We Could. <laughs> and he'd do this beautiful three-part harmony. It's perfect on the first take. And Paul says, in a nutshell, here's the microcosm of the Beatles. And George says, oh, that's perfect. And Paul says, yeah, no, it's great. I think if we try it again, we could. And John says, he said that was perfect, Paul. <laughs> and stop with the 87 takes of perfection. And, you know, there's the, that yin-yang thing. You can't have two people who demand a hundred takes or you'll never finish a record. See the Eagles. Like Joe Walsh said, if we had Pro Tools when we were doing Hotel California, we'd still be mixing it. <laughs> because there are two guys who won't let anything go. I could do right. it a little better. But that's what gets you to that level to an Eagles or a Beatles. It's gotta be great. Mick and Keith, two totally different opposite personalities. Keith wants to get the emotion of it. Mick wants to get it perfect. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of that going on definitely towards the end of the Beatles. People are pulling in different directions. Now, we're going to get to the, the Lewison tape, which sounds like yeah. there's a Pruder film. Right, about, it does. <laughs> right? There's a, did you hear about the Lewison? Every, the wildfire on social media. The Beatles wanted to do another album. And we will get to that. But again, like you, as a kid, bought this on album, and then I bought it on cassette just a few days later, because I explained to my mom, I don't want to always have to be in the room to, to, with the stereo to listen to this. I have my portable York cassette player. Not that I remember looking at it much mm -hmm. for hours on end. I said, I want to carry it with me. I have to take this with me. So I just carried it everywhere I went and listened to Abbey Road on cassette over and over again, and I never got tired of it. I don't get tired of any of the Beatles, but just you just keep digging into it. Musically, it's so lush. And, you know, it's mellow. There isn't a birthday on it. There isn't a rollover Beethoven. It's, it's elegiac. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's silly. It's swampy. It's bluesy. So much goes in. You know, they, a, a friend who's a music geek said to me, I think the White Album is more psychedelic than Pepper. I said, how's that? He goes, what album has Blackbird, Revolution Number no. Nine on it, Ringo saying goodnight, and back in the USSR? I'm like, you know, you you got a point. The the no nothing they ever recorded was further out than Revolution Number no. Nine, and John doing backwards vocals and mixing cocktail parties and the crazy sounds in it. That's even further out than Within You Without You of doing that, and then these beautiful ballads, but I think that's why it felt disjointed, because it didn't flow in, from one to the other the way it did on Pepper or on Magical Mystery Tour. This album, the Abbey Road album, to me, flows perfectly. Yeah, there's a, a humanity, I think, in this album. Not that it's all um, good time stuff, necessarily, but um, maybe because they were working apart, they were just a little bit happier. And I think that comes across in the writing. Yeah. I always thought, I didn't understand it as a kid, but later, you never give me your money. You only give me your funny paper. Meaning lawsuits, 
Yeah. And I always thought that was us negotiating. This is in the middle of these bad business deals and they're trying to, you know, Paul wanted his father-in-law to be their accountant. And that automatically, we've covered that of like, hell no, we're going to go with Alan Klein, who absolutely, they, they had, as Paul always said, we had a sue to get out of Alan Klein. So I was right, but I couldn't explain it to them. I have somebody, but because it's your father-in-law, not just a guy, they wouldn't do it. So I always took it as that. Um, and John and Paul, who wrote so closely together, you know, the big army of John saying he would sneak in. We always would start at 1130 in the morning and Paul would come in a half hour earlier and put down one vocal track a day of Oh Darling and blow his voice out because he knew he couldn't do it twice. Mm. And when he played it back for them, you know, John said, I would have loved to have had a crack at that. And I think I would have sang that better, but it's his song. So, oh, well. But when you get, when these two kids were so close, go, my song, as opposed to Andrew, help me with this, you know you're really, that's yeah. not the Beatles anymore. If yeah. that's your mindset is I'm keeping this one for myself and not throwing it into the room. And also from a production standpoint, that's kind of a good example of what I'm talking about. It, you just listen to the sound of the piano on back in the USSR and O'Darlin, how radically different that feels. I think the pianos are doing basically the same sort of eighth note kind of thing. But with Oh Darling, it sounds like orange and yellow and yeah. green. And on back in the USSR, it sounds like blue and gray and black and white. Like um, Back in the USSR to me is Chuck Berry's Johnny Johnson yeah. playing the straight eights the piano behind Maybelline, behind all those da 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 And O'Darlin, again, I didn't catch it as a kid, but as I listened to it over the years, I realized it's it's a doo-wop song. Mm-hmm. Oh, darlin, and all that's missing is three people behind him going, ba-ba-hoo, ba please believe, da-da-da-poo. And that's part, that's what that sound is. Because there was a lot of 50s references here. We're going to do this one last album. And John walks in covering Chuck Berry. And do you know the song You Can't Catch Me, mm -hmm. Chuck? I mean, for those who don't know it, let me play a snippet of it. New Jersey turnpike in the wee wee hours. I was rolling slow because of drizzling showers. Yeah, come a flat top. He was grooving up with me. Then come waving goodbye. Here come old flat top. He come grooving up with me. And he just takes the line, and it's that beat. Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. And McCartney says, knowing they're going to get sued to hell, goes, let's make it swampy, huh? Slow it down. Boom, 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 boom. Da, 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 da. And it's the same rhythm. Of course, Chuck Berry's songs were owned by... Don Corleone, Moish Levy, Chess Records, who sues the hell out of him for that. So, And the payment was John would cover You Can't Catch Me on the Rock and Roll album and give him back the money. But it's interesting that walking in the door for your last album and John walks in with a Chuck Berry song, a Chuck Berry cover. Hmm. Like, is that is it because you don't care enough or are you proving a point? Did you walk in because you were with Chuck Berry because you were bored? Or did you walk in because I want to take it full circle and go back to the beginning of rock and roll and then we'll walk through it. Nowadays, it's they call that sampling. <laughs> Nowadays, they call it sampling. 
And then the biggest sea change in the world to me about this album is, oh, they came together to do another album. They've come together. And Sean's like, come together over me. Come on, I've been the asshole. Come together over me. Let's make a great Beatle album. And through the years, I realized how hostile the lyrics are in this. And I never saw it before. When you look at it, here's another interpretation. You want to make another album? Paul calls George Martin and says, we don't want to leave it like this. And Acrimony and crappy Phil Spector, we want to make another album, George. And he said, does everybody feel that way? Yes. Will you all be on your best behavior? Does John... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial training transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. want to. Yes. Do I have your word as a gentleman that John will be there and present and be part of it? Yes. And he tells John, this is too big to leave scattershot like this. Let's make one more. And John says, yes, I'll behave. George, yes. So John walks in and the first one, you know, Ringo. Oh, you want to make another album? You want to? Okay, here's Ringo. Got to be a joker. He do, he do what he please. Second one is George Harrison. You know, one thing I can tell you, you got to be free, come together. Third is me. I'm bad production. I'm the walrus, walrus gumboot. Got Ono sideboard. Holds you in his armchair, you can feel his disease. I'm the worst of us. And there's Paul, you know, he's one mojo filter. You gotta be good looking, he's so hard to see. Like, you want another Beatles album? Here's who the Beatles are. But you want one more? I started this band, it was my band, the Quarrymen. We're gonna come together because I wanna do it. And the Beatles are assholes, but here we go. And you could and read it like that of him taking out each Beatle, including himself, and going, now that we got that out of the way, and George plays that beautiful slide guitar, and we hand George the second song. And George gets what Frank Sinatra said, the greatest love song ever written. Right after that, they hand it to the kid who had a fight, like almost with his fists, to get a song on an album on the first 10, and he gets something. Outstanding. And... You know, as you as we go through, we've done this before. If you go back to our early podcasts, I think here's something, the most beautiful song, lovely, that John and George, we find out from Jeff Emmerich, we're actually sniping about, we're laughing about the one of the idiotic lyrics as they looked at it. And John said, and Paul. John and Paul. That, you know, they said, we'll fix that. George says, don't touch his song. You, you know, I, um, you know, I believe in how. That was the line that they thought was amateurish. To which, as we find out later in the Lewison tape, none of them liked uh, Maxwell Silverham. 
And Paul's like, oh, it's great. Come on, it's great. It's a toe tapper. It's good. And it is a great song. It's a terrific song. But if they didn't like it and Paul demanded they do it, and as you once said to me, when, when it's difficulties in a band, it's easier to just say yes than, get, than fight forever on yeah. the no. Because it is a good song. You just don't like it. You're at such a high level. You know pretty much anything you do is going to be great. And you don't, they're not denying Paul's ability to song. They're not saying it's a crappy song or it's, or it's bad or it won't be a hit. They know it'll be a hit. They know everything they're bringing in this room will be a hit. We just don't think it's worthy of us. And that's a different argument entirely. Right. So then Paul gets oh, darling. Let's give one to Ringo because Ringo has to have something. And he, this was one of those first times that Ringo walked in with the idea. He was on a yacht off the coast of Sardinia. They're snorkeling, and the captain told them that, you know, octopi make little homes for themselves. They get bits of silver or wrappers or whatever they find. They make a little garden for themselves by their rock. And it's such a Ringo song. I'd like to be under I've the always sea. loved this song. Every child. Ringo is the doorway for almost every mm-hmm. thing from Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden. You know, Ringo gets that. They, you know, Yellow Submarine, that Paul writes for him, but it's an easy way to walk in. And it's a fun, sweet song. And you can see that George and John, they put their back into making it great. The, the guitar licks are really interesting on what could have been a very yeah. simple song. I love the lead guitar that George plays on it. You know, we don't talk about that, but there's real musicianship to that. And then the thing they really that John really wanted to do was jam the blues. And they record a 25-minute version of She's I Want You, She's So Heavy. As they said, they let the tape run out. The, the engineers left while they were just playing that <laughs> one blues riff over and over. But great editing. You know, you find a way to cut it down and make a song out of it and put it on. We go back to George again. For to me, the greatest song he's he's ever written. Yeah. Here comes the sun. It, it's untouchable. The riff, the lyrics, the spirituality of it. Um, George, in his in, when you get to all things must pass, and you know, there's there's a it's not scolding, but there's sort of a finger in your face telling you what to do. Beware, you know. Beware of darkness. Don't do this. Be like this. Do this. Do that. There's a lot of telling you what to do in George's songs, Mm -hmm. which is a little awkward to me as opposed to just telling me a story, here comes the sun, follow the sun, and I get it without him telling me, here's what you should do. You know, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Like, bad times are over, good times can come. As we mentioned, because, just because we want to show you we're the best three-part harmony group that ever lived, we're going to do it. We get to you never give you your money. And then, you know, we can do an entire show on the two medleys, the Sun King medley and the Golden Slumbers medley. And when McCartney said, hey, you know, we've got all these bits. Why don't we do a medley? And John said, we've done that. Yeah, we did that on Peppa, Paul. Like, yeah, no, it'll be great. I love it. And I think that's, that was the real dichotomy of, look where John went after that. John's doing primal scream therapy. And trying to be as avant-garde as edgy and doesn't care about having hits. Couldn't care less. Paul still wants to make hits because he says, we do it better than anyone. They will love these songs. And as we know from the Esher demos from the White Album, that John had Polythene Pan. They had Mean Mr. Mustard. He had those bits 
a year ago in 68 and just didn't know where they fit in or they were silly. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, tie them together. They're probably too much like Paul songs for him. I think, <laughs> yeah, it, I think he was almost embarrassed. They're more, yeah. That's more of a Paul sounding song than me doing Revolution Number no. 9. Right. Which he had this thing like, it got to be cool, you know, got to be a, past everything, got to be above all of it. And, you know, the funny thing is, you come around to 1980 in Double Fantasy, and he's writing beautiful Paul-esque songs, starting over, beautiful boy, you know, and bringing some love back into it. The Golden Slumbers medley, and again, Paul, the last line, and in the end, that line, I mean, to just be able to knock out lyrics like that. Yeah. The love you take is equal to the love you make. The last words will say, George says, we'll bring in a string, string section. You do three-part harmony over it. We'll call it a day. And <laughs> Her Majesty, which was a little snippet that was in the middle of the medley, that Paul says, that's dumb. That, just take it out. It just kind of kills it. And, of course, Lennon goes, no, put that at the end. I, I want to end with a joke. That is the most elegiac, perfect end of us singing harmony with strings and in the end, the love you make, that's the Beatles. And then wait about 10 seconds. And a lot of people take their, their needle off. But the ones who let it play out will hear it. We'll get Her Majesty and the closing groove, which is just absolutely phenomenal to me to pull that off. So all that said, we get to this tape, the Lewison tape. There's a Pruder film of the Beatles. Uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about, uh, there... The Sapruder film was... <laughs> <clears throat> Dealey Plaza, Dallas, Texas, who did it? So we know they're done. They've all talked about they were coming back to do one last album. They're having a meeting, and Ringo isn't there. Ringo was sick. They're having a meeting, and it's John, Paul, George. So they decide to tape the meeting so Ringo can hear it, because that's the only fair thing to say. And in this tape, which everybody says, well, we knew this existed. You didn't know it existed. Otherwise, it would have been the biggest news of the world when somebody heard the tape. And Ringo obviously heard the tape because they sent right. it to him. But Ringo being Ringo has never said a word about, you know, we were going to make another album. Like nothing. Didn't say a word. Mark Lewison, who's doing all the research, who is the, you know, 16,000 pages just getting them to 1962. Right. And, you know, it's in-depth. He's researched everything. It's not hearsay. He's gone like a detective. Ringo has yet to be mentioned in one of Mark Lewis's <laughs> books. Exactly. We're still at Pete and Mona's house. Uh, he hears this, and George, John Lennon, who's screwed the Beatles, I'm out of here. It's John and Yoko. My name is John and Yoko. John and Yoko Ono Lennon. That's, our, that's my name. That's her name. Says, on the next record, I think George should have four songs. On the next record? Mm -hmm. He says this. John, not Paul. Paul, of course, wants another record. Paul wants to do another 30 records. Paul loves being in the Beatles. Paul thinks this is a rough patch that we've got, I've got to figure out how to get over it. And the only way I know how to get over it is to write and record. Because we never we don't fight when we're making music. We fight about about making it. We fight, you know, we argue over ourselves, behind ourselves, what what we're doing. But when the mic, when the tape's rolling and the mics are hot. There's never a, like, and Giles Martin said, I've listened to every hour of tape. There's not one angry word while the tape's rolling. So that's what Paul knows. If we can stay in the studio with mics on, we'll, we'll work, and our work is still better than what anybody else can do. So of course he wants to do another record. But 
just bringing that up, George said have four songs, and Paul says, yeah, these two songs that he had on Abbey Road, you know, were really the best things he's ever done. He's finally learned to write, you really learned to write songs. Yeah, I mean, if ever there was proof that he deserved more songs, yeah, this Abbey was Road it. was it. And to which George says, you know, I, I've written some other songs that were pretty good. And Paul says, well, no, these are really good. And Paul and George says, well, that's a matter of opinion, don't you think? I mean, we didn't like Maxwell Silverhammer. And the game, you know, and we can't let a nice, you know, a, a nice moment when you're arguing with a girlfriend that you're breaking up with or a wife or a friend, even a, a compliment is seen as a backhanded compliment because you're, you're not, you don't enjoy the other person anymore. So I wonder, excuse me, I wonder how could they have done another album? And with that in mind, if Ringo said, you know what, this is a way we can work. We can do it like this. John, go off and do solo albums. Paul, do solo albums. George, do solo That's what every band does. Do solo albums and figure three, four years. You don't have to lock in a date. We'll come back and keep it open-ended. And when we feel like doing a Beatles album, we'll do a Beatles album. But nobody says that on the tape. I, I, me, personally, I wonder if we talked about doing another album because that's just our conversation that we always have. You and I are so used to yeah. talking about a podcast or about radio that we just do it when we don't have anything right. else to they, talk about. They had an album coming out. They had Abbey Road, which was, I think, two weeks away from being released. So they're not going to tour on it. Right. What else are they going to talk about? Good point. We didn't really do any publicity for it. We're not going on chat shows. We're not making any videos for it. We're just putting this album out there. We don't even put our name on it. Just here it is, the Beatles album. That's and you'll know, Beatles fans, that this is it. Right. Um, so, you know, and then becomes the debate of what would be on that album. What are the snippets? Hottest sun glasses. Paul loved that riff. That if he had brought that riff in, I'm sure John and George would have made something bigger out of that riff. Um, would you know, John hadn't even come close to writing Imagine yet, but would if he'd gone there, would, I mean, certainly there's so many George songs on All Things Must Pass that could have come in the door. My Sweet Lord would have been on the next one. Right. Beware of Darkness would have been on that next one. You know, it would have been very George heavy because he had the best songs ready to go, I think, that never, that always Yeah, he had already done, I think, the two, uh, the soundtrack and the uh, the instrumental album, right? Right. And the songs they gave to Ringo for his first album would I'm the greatest be on a Beatles album? Would Ringo could have sung that and put that on it, basically that was a Beatles track. They all played on it. Mm -hmm. You know, John Lennon wrote it, the Beatles played on it, they just put it on an album called Ringo Starr. Yeah. But that would have been on a Beatles album. The material was there for another Beatles album, but to sit in a room and talk about it and then leave the room and go, that's never gonna happen. Could they have been talking about Let It Be, about what became Let It Be? No, because they had already had it in the can. I don't okay, think they, they wanted to revisit it. They already decided what was going to be on Let It Be. I, I think, I think they were still going to try to figure it out, but I mean, they left it. You know, they were. It was so miserable. It was mm -hmm. so contentious. They handed it to Phil Spector and said, "Do something with this." And I don't think anybody wanted to revisit it. Nobody did until McCartney did Let It Be Naked. Mm -hmm. what, 10 years ago or so. 
where he took all of Phil Spector's work off it. As George Martin always said, you want a producing credit on it? He said, the only credit I'll accept is produced by George Martin, overproduced by Phil Spector. And that's if you want, otherwise just take my name off it. Mm -hmm. And everybody hated it. And maybe because I grew up with it, I loved it. The long and winding road with the strings and the harps and all that and let it be. It was you. It was as big a hit in the world. It wasn't like when you took all of Phil Spector's stuff off, you go, oh, now it's a great song. It was a great song with all the schmaltzy strings and stuff that he put on it. So I, I don't put Phil Spector down for let it be because that's what it was. That's what they handed him and they didn't want to work on it anymore. But this album, 50 years ago, and again, what Giles Martin's done he has not remixed it by changing anything. To me, he has taken digital Windex and simply cleaned what was there and made it crystal clear. I hear more Billy Preston. I hear where the level of the electric piano goes more. The drum kit always sounds just so clear and stellar. I love the sound of it. What do you think? I haven't heard it yet. Okay, well, you're going to love it. And the outtakes, again, to hear when the, what he picked in, with the pick and choose is to hear them talking to each other in the studio mm -hmm. and you feel like you're there. For that moment when you're listening to the outtakes, to the alternate takes, you're in the room with the Beatles making this masterpiece. Yeah, and this will be fun to re-listen to because this is the Beatles album that I go back to the most often. So I think I know the production the best. And actually, it'll be interesting to see if I still feel the way I I said I do earlier after I listened to it about, about the warmth on this record. So maybe there's an Abbey Road 50th anniversary part two right. to come. Okay. Thank you, producer Andrew. Thank you, Ken. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.